Welcome to the Work and Play Podcast, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. I have a I have a special guest in the room for those of you guys who are not watching us on YouTube. Um, but before we get into, well, actually, no, I'd like to introduce my guest first and then you can introduce a little bit more about yourself. So Bryn Drescher. Yes. Awesome. So in a little backstory, Bryn and I met in the morning meetup um, mm-hmm. where entrepreneurs meet 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Um, every day, Monday through Friday. And our relationship has built through Zoom over 350 people. Yeah. And here we are for the first time in my dad's living room. In person. In person after COVID, uh, you know, on the tail end. And I get to ask her a little bit more about her career and her highs and lows and the things that she's learned along the way. So without further ado, would you like to introduce yourself to the folks? Yes. Thank you, Ariel. Um, so my name is Bryn and uh, Bryn Drescher, if you want the full government name, I guess. Uh, I just, I don't know, like, I don't know why, but like the last name. Anyway, um, I am a mental performance coach. I work with professional college and high school elite athletes. And um, I did have a life in corporate before. Um, I'm basically transitioned out of corporate into being on my own and sort of finding my way through entrepreneurship. And I landed on mental performance coaching after some trial and error. And uh, I really love it. I feel like it's a mixture of all the things that I was angling to do. And I just found a home where I can kind of use all of my tools. I use like the analogy of a Swiss army knife. And so now I have all the tools Okay, to be better at what I'm doing now. Yeah. So the tools that I know so far, um, your, your past, your history as an, as an athlete, Mm -hmm. also your, I know the mental performance part, but I guess I don't necessarily know how that evolved. So how did those two tools evolve? And I'm sure there's others that I don't know. Yes. So definitely wasn't a leap from being an athlete to being a (laughs) mental performance coach. It's kind of funny. You would think that that would be some natural evolution, but to be honest, I had no idea what a mental performance coach was at the time. Um, I had majored in, uh, essentially my goal was to be a lawyer Mm -hmm. and I never was, but I thought that that's what I wanted to be since I was young. And so so, or child, I should say, because I still consider myself young, but <laughs> a child. So I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And then once I got into interning in uh, the legal space, I kind of figured this isn't really okay. the place for me. Okay. So I took some time off because I was still not 100% sure I didn't want to be a lawyer, but I decided to go into the working world. And so after I graduated college, I started working with Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Um, and I was taken with the idea of, you know, um, well, they recruit people sort of, it's like, it's almost like, I don't know, a college kind of job. Okay. It's one of those, like they just recruit you. That's who they recruit. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it was a lot of fun. Um, definitely long hours. We wash cars in really nice clothes because you dress in business clothes, you're renting cars. It's not like where you got that polo on in some of those TV shows you see, like, we're wearing suit. Well, I wasn't wearing a suit and a tie, but guys are wearing super suits and ties. Yeah. Girls are wearing, you know, business suits or dresses or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I worked for them for quite a while, and it was very interesting because the thing that I liked about it was I got a chance to. I loved a challenging customer. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've ever rented a car, then you know about the experience of the car not being there when you expect it to be there or things not working out. And Enterprise's whole model is sort of built on, we never sell out, we're just able to make it work, which is for the employee, a very stressful situation. But for the customer, they're just going online, booking and expecting to walk in and get their car. Mm -hmm. Now you go to rent at an airport, the cars are always there. It's not like they ever, you ever really go into an airport and they go, yeah, sorry, we don't have any cars. That just, I mean, it can happen if you don't have a reservation, but if you have a reservation, typically it works out. Mm -hmm. When I worked for Enterprise, um, we were in the retail residential. So we're doing just everyday customers. So we're doing a lot of um, insurance replacement and just, hey, I need a car for the weekend type rental. So it's a little different. But the insurance company can send those reservations over any time. doesn't matter if you have five cars on the lot or if you have 100 cars on the lot, which we would never have 100 because we're smaller and we don't have the space like an airport. But anyway... um, in that process, you had to learn how to deal with customers who were very upset because sometimes they, you just didn't have the car or you had to go to another branch to get it or it was going to be a few minutes to clean it up because it just came back and okay. this, that, and the third. And so I enjoyed the process of like having to get this customer on my side, even though, you know, they may be slightly 
upset. And one of the big parts of my job was um, I was I worked my way up to being a branch manager throughout my career there. But one of the things we had was called ESQI and is the Enterprise Service Quality Index. So you had to your branch was rated on that. Like if you didn't have a good ESQI, you can get promoted. Like we were all responsible for keeping customers happy. And like Enterprise had this thing about happy employees equal happy customers. And so I love that model. And it was always never over promise, always over deliver. And so those two things from my enterprise life was like, yes, I love this because my job is to remember that I shouldn't over promise. And I should always figure out how I can make the customer happy because it's never the customer's fault. It's always our responsibility to make them happy. Yeah. Well, there's so much in what you just said, because from your perspective, you, you got a kick out of making like, you know, challenging customers, <laughs> your, you know, best friend. Right. And then you, you mentioned, you know, happy employees make happy customers. Yeah. So there's that, there's that company support of your particular passion. So like, what is that? Like, what does it take for you to like win that customer over? Well, it's, it's not easy on every time okay. because, you know, I'm still human and there's times that you're just like, look, I'm doing the best I can and whatnot. And I can't say that it's always successful either because if someone doesn't want to be happy, there's nothing you can do to make them happy. Mm-hmm. However, figuring out how to do that dance of, hey, communication is important. So if the car's not here, how can I tell the customer what the process is, keep them updated, let them know, not over promising, it'll be here in five minutes, mm-hmm. like knowing it's going to take 20 minutes, right? So mm-hmm. like, hey, here's the situation. And because of this, we're going to go ahead and give you a free upgrade, you know, or something to let them know that we're working with them. And most customers, if you're honest, and you're open in communication can be quite understanding, mm-hmm. even though it could be an inconvenience. Okay. Um, And so I think it's just that open, honest communication and knowing how you're taking responsibility for the fact that they don't know your business. You know your business. So you, you, you might be feeling like, okay, technically, if they change their policy, I wouldn't have to deal with this. This customer wouldn't be walking in and surprising me. But I, I can't take that out on that customer because the customer didn't make the business model. Yeah. So the big thing is, is this is an opportunity for me to rise to rather than to be defeated by and to take it out on the customer. Ooh, I can already hear that <laughs> mental performance, like working in that situation. Cause it's like, this is the environment that I've, that I've been given. Right. Let me play my cards. Let the me best do what I can with it. That's exactly. it. I can already hear it. So I already know these, <laughs> these dots are going to connect. Um, what I was going to say after that is you, you stepped up to the occasion, right? right? What did it feel like being supported in that company? So absolutely. I mean, I think that in corporate, and I think, you know, some people may feel this way. They may not. I mean, corporate is an interesting animal because the company is founded on certain sort of principles, but not always everyone who works for the company is bought in mm-hmm. to that culture or necessarily bleeds it, if that makes sense, or like preaches it, right? And so I had some managers that I liked and I had some managers that I didn't like. But when I was not a manager and I was starting, I was like first up to the counter, first up to like take on the challenges and help everybody. But then eventually I started to realize that I was doing more work than other people in the office. (laughs) And I was like, this is not quote unquote fair, Mm. right? But then when you look at it, it's like, well, you know, you chose to be that person. And so... Yeah, some of this is, of course, looking back in hindsight, because okay. at the time I was still like a little frustrated, like, man, well, I, well, I'm always the one that's doing all the work. But it was a choice in me to be a hard worker yeah. and to do the thing. Mm-hmm. And so whatever my fellow coworkers felt like, so to be supported um, by the mission of the company and some of the managers that I had felt great. And in other times being the manager to learn the process, because I definitely was not the person I am today as a manager, I was definitely like, I work hard. You should work hard. Okay. This is what I do. This is what you should do. But everybody's not motivated by the same things, doesn't communicate the same way. So there was a, that experience taught me a lot about how to be a better person as well as how to be able to communicate something to someone else and understand that their way of carrying it out doesn't have to look like mine. And that was a humbling experience for Mm -hmm. sure. I may have been a good 
employee, but I definitely was a needs improvement manager at times. I definitely taught a lot of my employees a lot of things, but my way or manner was often very, um, I would say rough because I was just like, yo, like Mm -hmm. coming and I won't blame it on athletics, but you know, if you can think of the athletic world where it's just kind of like, so here's the plan. This is what we're doing. Get in line. That's kind of how I managed my ship in in enterprise, you know, and I'm coming from track. So I wouldn't say like, oh, it was because I was, you know, I mean, yeah, my coach was kind of hard nose, but yeah. (laughs) So that's just how you, maybe, (laughs) but (laughs) I suppose maybe it rubbed off on me, but I just always thought like, if this is how I work, then this is how you should work. But I didn't realize that there's different communication styles, learning styles, you know, all these different things. So that's interesting. Thank you for being transparent about that. (laughs) I mean, because, you know, sometimes the disconnect between go-getters and people who are who work for go-getters are just like it's so huge and you never get a chance like when you have a terrible boss and not to say that you were a terrible boss but you're just owning your part in that you never get a chance to see that um reflection Mm -hmm. you know dare i say from someone who kind of either made your life hell or you know you just never knew so even no matter what impact you had it's just great to see you reflecting on that absolutely and so you sound like you had a really great time at at enterprise i did so what made you leave well so there was one other story i wanted to tell you about enterprise and then i'll tell you why i left so um when I wanted to get promoted, so I was a branch manager of, um, I eventually got promoted to a branch manager of a large branch. So at that time, I was in Maryland, 300 cars um, is a lot. And in enterprise world and residential branch managership, because like the biggest branches are airports outside of that, and they have lots of cars. Um, so I was like wanting the next step after branch manager of a large branch is area manager. And area manager is like where you hit the six figure mark. You can make six figures at a large branch, but typically it's definitely an area manager. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that's where you manage a bunch of branch managers and whatever. So that's what I wanted. And so I had this mentor and um, I was just, this is such a pivotal moment, but she, I was basically like, I want to be promoted by this time next year. And she said, well, what if there's no positions next year at that time? Okay. And I was like, well, I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> this is my goal. I want to be promoted by this time next year. She's like, why don't you focus on just being the best at what you do and let the promotion take care of itself? Okay. And I was like, huh. And that always stuck with me because it was this idea that a lot of times we're fixated on putting a timeline on something. But if... If I was really good and just, you know, undeniably a great manager, the promotion was going to take care of itself and it could have even happened before my deadline, so to speak. And so I thought that was really powerful because it was like, don't worry so much about the outcome, just be a really good person in the process and you will get the result, if that makes sense. So as the time went on of being a branch manager and seeing what it was going to take to be an area manager with enterprise, I realized that though the prestige of the six figure income and being an area manager was probably something I wanted. Yeah. I don't think the person I would have had to be to be that was who I wanted to be. And so ultimately that was part of the reason I left. And then the the other part of the reason I left was because I knew that I never wanted to work for Enterprise Rent a Car for the rest of my life. <laughs> I never even took that job for that reason. It was really just supposed to be something to do before I went to law school, which, you know, turned into several years of a hiatus from all that. And so then I had this sort of come to Jesus moment, if you will, and was kind of like, okay, well, do I still want to go to law school? Mm-hmm. I also, when I was a kid, wanted to be an actress. What do I want to do? And so I said, well, why don't I take acting classes in um, at the time, I was living in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area on the Maryland side, and um, it was like, well, enterprise. We work till six, mm-hmm. and uh, we work from basically seven till six, so it's very long days. And all acting classes probably started, and I had to get to D.C. and all this. So I said, well, why don't I find a job that I can maybe just pursue? acting classes and so I decided to switch to banking okay yes which also not my career ambition but at the time (laughs) this is this was a thing bankers hours were different than regular business hours they were working till three or whatever 
And so I was like, oh, that's way better. I'll have so plenty of time, you know. <laughs> so and then shortly after I got the job, they switched to five or whenever banks close now. But uh, anyway, it's okay. But I was able to take my acting class. And, and then um, that same mentor with Enterprise, even though I had already left Enterprise, I think we had had a conversation and... Um, she basically, I told her I wanted to be an actress, but I, you know, but you know, in order to do that, you have to go to like New York or, which is not true, but it's a, what I wanted to do, New York or California. Mm-hmm. And I knew I didn't want to go to New York because I visited New York and it was never calling me. It still doesn't call me when I go to New York and people are like, I love this place. Mm-hmm. I'm always like, mm, not for me. And <laughs> it's great to visit, but not to live for me. And so I was like, California, but I don't know anybody there and whatever. She was like, well, what does that matter? Like, just... Like, would you rather look back and say you wish or would you want to know? And I was like, that's a good point. So anyway, I ended up moving here and uh, transferring with my job from Wells Fargo at the time. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Hey, Wells Fargo, sorry, I'm representing you. Um, I guess I already said Enterprise, so it doesn't matter. Um, and uh, I transferred with the job. I wanted to quit, but then they made it possible for me to transfer. And ultimately, I worked for them for... A certain amount of time and then I ended up exiting out to be an actress full-time and I put that in quotes because there's other stories behind that but. absolutely I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure like you, your life is so full but and as much as like I want to I want to skip skip around yeah. in this in this position that we're in right yeah. now what's coming up for me is one your reflection as a manager yeah and then two the fact that you had a mentor within the company mm-hmm. who gave you not not only objective feedback, but counsel for yeah. that was fit for that was fit for you. Yeah. So I'm just curious about like, do you feel like and and not only did her advice, it wasn't just for corporate. It was it helped it sent you to it your dream. To my dream. Yeah. So if you were to reflect on your learning experience or or what you you know, it's not even a question that's formulating. I'm just trying to put myself in a position where what could you have, what would it have looked like for you if, you know, I don't have a question. It's it's really, it's really just awesome. Are you that wondering you have, what would have happened if I didn't have her or is that? Well, you know, actually what I'm thinking right now is your, your development as a manager. Oh, okay. And and I'm curious to know if that if her support helped you to develop as a manager yourself. Uh, you know, I don't she was like a regional, like I don't know, she was like maybe the head of our entire region. So I had mm-hmm. an opportunity to talk to her on occasion, but she was pretty far up the food chain to be giving me any sort of direct counsel on my um managerial style. But the thing about me is I've always been very introspective. Um, I'm an extrovert, but I do look at myself and I go, okay, well, how can I be this better? And seeing how my employees responded and that I knew that I I was a good worker and I could get things done and I could still lead, but then also seeing some of the responses of my employees, I didn't want to be that type of person. And I, I think over the time of reflecting and probably conversations I had with my direct report, uh, my direct managers or different things, I think it was just something that in hindsight, I learned probably more because I didn't, I mean, I, I was able to transition through the levels and become a, a manager of a larger branch and mm-hmm. all of those things and have my career. But I think ultimately it was just the culminating of experiences and sort of reflecting and being like, hmm. Yeah, to manage people is a special skill. Mm. And and I can say it's even today, like, I'm much better at it because obviously I still, even though I work with clients, I still have to do some managing of their process, I suppose. But I've not ever taken on the job of managing people since. And not to say that I don't think I could because I think I'm a different person now. But yeah, it's definitely not something that I'm like, yes, let's get in there. Let's manage some people again, you know, but as I build my team out, I will be managing people. And so I'm, 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 I'm ripe for the challenge, but I wouldn't say that necessarily. I think she led me. I think she just helped 
hold that mirror up and say, you know, like, is this what you want? And here's another way to look at it. And I think having that sounding board is good, but she just happened to be, it was not very many women managers. So it was just nice to have her, even if she was pretty far up corporate. Absolutely. To be able to reach out to her and talk to her about those things. Yeah. And she gave you sound advice even yeah. when you weren't at Enterprise. Exactly. So that was awesome. So then you moved to um, LA. LA, yep. Because mm-hmm. they, you know, they you you they saw that you had a passion and they said, well, how about we transfer yeah, you in so you quit <laughs> really saving a retention hit but you know we're not gonna say i mean i'm not mad at them that's a good chess move right because they found out because i told too many people that i was quitting and somebody told and they was like how about we transfer you yeah. instead and it was like well, i guess going with a job is better than going without a job so yeah that's how they made that possible so exactly so now we're at a place where you have passion looming you know that creative side of you and you're still corporate Mm -hmm. so take us there so wells fargo was i actually liked it a lot in north in maryland um i liked my manager i liked the team that i work with i'm not saying i loved banking but you know it was great i got a chance to have um i had to here i had to take my series six and 67 exam so i was actually licensed to sell annuities not stocks i mean that's a seven and whatever it is but um and so I had to take some education when I got here and things like that. And I was what you call a financial specialist. So all we are is people that you come in and we sell you the bank products. So we're, we're the person you sit down when you want to like take out a loan or the person to get a mortgage or to get a, a line of credit business, uh, you know, or an annuity or something, retirement or mm-hmm. something like that. So of course I liked the, my favorite part about the job was the people, right? And the opportunity to interface with the public. Um, I, and I, I like the people I worked with. I actually uh, worked here in Glendale, which is a high Armenian population. So that was a culture I'd never been exposed to before. Okay. So that was cool. And I got to learn some cool words like labes, which means um, uh, high or something like that. And then <laughs> bankum, which just means bank, because <laughs> they would always be on the phone and say bankum. And I'm like, oh, I'm starting to think that that means bank. <laughs> But anyway, and if you have you are in the right place, yeah, you are in the right place. <laughs> they weren't asking me. Yeah, no, they weren't that. They were very smart people. They were just like, ah, bunk room. Like I'm in the bank. Like that's where I'm at. So um, I learned a lot about different cultures. Like in Glendale, it's the largest, I think. And you know, of course, someone watching this can write in and tell you if I'm wrong. But it's one of the largest populations of Armenian people outside of the country of Armenia themselves. So um, that was cool because I got to meet people from different cultures and just experienced different populations than I had experienced in Maryland because I'd never even heard of an Armenian person in my previous life, which is nothing, you know, not saying that they're rare or anything, but, you know, just certain populations live in different places. Absolutely. Um, But the thing about the bank was it's cold. I don't know if you ever worked, you've been in a bank, but they're cold. I don't know if it's to keep the money warm or what it is, but it's very very cold. (laughs) So I'd have to, on my breaks, I would go outside just to be in the sun because it was so cold. And um, I think, uh, you know, this is irrelevant, but when men are warm, women are cold. And when women are cold, men are hot. You know, know, when, when women are hot, men are comfortable. Yeah. So, or something like that. I forget. Anyway, the point is, is that uh, my manager, his name was Jeff. I don't know his last name and I shouldn't say it anyway. But um, he was just not my guy. (laughs) And I think he was fine. But I was like, he made it very easy for me to be like, because the one thing was working in the bank, it's too hard to go to auditions and work a corporate job Mm because auditions can happen at any time during the day. And you know, as well as your audience, (laughs) that when you are working in corporate, you can't just dip out for (laughs) two hours because you're going all the way across LA traffic to get to an audition where you're going to say one line for two seconds and then hop back in your car and get back to work. So (laughs) having a full-time job presented its challenges in trying to pursue acting. But then on top of that, um, I just didn't like my supervisor. And I knew I wasn't bought into this being my career. Mm-hmm. So at some point, I think it was maybe I lasted nine months. I don't know exactly. I can't remember now, but I basically was just like, yeah, I'm out. Mm. This is it. Was it a, was it when you, when you left? I know part of it was like you didn't like your boss. So was it, did it feel like I'm tra- I'm chasing my dreams or did it feel yeah, more calculated? I mean, it was definitely, I think it was just knowing that I didn't ever, I mean, because Enterprise was a much longer period of time. And so it was just kind of like when I left there, that was more like, wow, I mean, I was fully vested retirement wise and, 
different things when they actually like you would get a 400%, I mean, not 400%, 100% of your 401k. Whereas with Wells Fargo, I hadn't gotten that far. And so I think it was just like, I already knew I wanted not to have this job and they transferred me. And of course, I'm making good money. So it's like, it was more just like, oh my God, I'm about to walk away from this, but I'm going to figure it out. I'm just going to figure it out because yeah. I just... I knew that corporate was not where I ever wanted to be. And even though I wanted to be a lawyer at one point, I definitely by now have come to the realization that I didn't want to be a lawyer anymore. And Mm -hmm. so I was just like, yeah. And there is no amount of money you can pay me to go back. Ooh, that's strong. There's no amount of money. Uh, Yeah, I had a friend who, uh, anyway, a long long story, but I won't tell that part, but he just basically got an offer for a job. And he was like, they're going to pay me like, I think it was $90,000, something crazy at a job. This is and 2021? This is not 2020. Okay. This is a couple of years ago. Okay, And gotcha. he was saying 90000 and I was like, that's that's um, that's still not enough, man. And he was yeah. like, what? I was like, there's no amount of money. I'm telling you, if you, they can pay you, but you, you have to like the job. It's not yeah. the money. You have to like the job. Absolutely. And so he ended up taking the job because he's like but it's this much money and you know i was like yeah you gotta do what you gotta do man yeah took the job and then you know a, a year like later it. he was back in where he was when i was talking to him because he was like yeah i didn't like it and i'm like exactly yeah it's not about the money it just it always comes down to that i call <laughs> this is probably not what i should say to people <laughs> on your podcast but i call it legalized slavery because it's like they're leasing your talent yeah. right for a fraction of what it's worth and you know in the book we read in the morning meetup when that guy was bringing in how much money was he bringing in something some millions of dollars and they were only paying him like seventy thousand dollars it was something I can't crazy. which book was that it was um was that a story in what was the book we read before um the one thing it wasn't wasn't it atomic habits was it in atomic habits atomic the story Habit. oh when okay so when he was a beach bomb you're talking about no the beach no bomb? not the not slight edge the guy who mm. was uh uh working for the brokerage firm and he was he made only a little bit for bringing in all this money. But anyway, it doesn't matter. The scenario, I, it rings a bell. Yeah. I'm like, it's just, that's yeah, the so reality. <laughs> but, yeah. but that, when I heard that, I was like, that's what I'm talking about. You yeah. work your butt off. You make the company millions of dollars. Yeah. And they pay you a fraction of it. Yeah. And understand, and maybe you wouldn't have their Rolodex. You wouldn't have this. You wouldn't have that. But I was like, if you could do that for them, you can do it for you. Absolutely. Well, I think we should certainly get into the mindset yeah. of that shift because I think it's important no matter why you leave. Yeah. That legalized slavery, I actually really do resonate with that. But, you know, your reality of whatever your situation is, just be clear that you are working and then you're making the money a substantial amount of change. Yeah. I think those realities are important. Oh, yeah, for sure. But um, in this case, we're talking about you. Yeah. And... Your realization, so your mindset is, I will figure it out in acting. And you, at that time, I know you just said you'll never go back to entrepreneur, you'll never go back to corporate. Corporate, corporate, Was your mindset there? Oh, yeah, When I left left Wells Fargo, I mean, you say that, but, you know, uh, I think the words never and always make you a liar every time. And so, no, I've never worked back in corporate, but- when I said it, I meant it. But did I know if that was going to be true? You know? Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, I can't take a pause real quick because the words never and always make you a liar. And <laughs> every time. Yeah. I mean, like, thank you so much <laughs> for dropping that. I'm going to replay that and take a note. Um, so was acting your plan A and did you have a plan B? So acting was... Uh, I think I was still, I mean, I had just gotten into it. So, you know, I don't know. And and I never really, I'm going to be honest and say, I didn't think I was that good. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I was entertaining by far. I mean, that I was doing practically like stand up and entertaining my customers when they were waiting for cars. And (laughs) that was what I've been doing throughout my career, because I've always been a person who is very, um, I like to use humor, I love to make, you know, I love to entertain and to, you know, be sort of like, yeah, look at me, you know, what was your acting space? Uh, What do you mean? What was my acting space? Oh, I've done stand up. I've done I mean, I did I took acting classes here. I went on some auditions, commercial, I went on a few theatrical. Theatrical, the difference between a commercial and theatrical, obviously, is commercials for commercials. Theatrical is for TV shows and movies. 
I didn't go on any movies unless they were short films. Okay. I did some, I did some theatrical, very minimal because it also helps to get like the real TV shows when you have an agent and certain things. But I mean, it's not impossible. I'm not going to make excuses. I honestly, when I got into the room, I just, I was always somebody who was entertaining people off of me and not off of someone else's words or whatever. And when I was a kid, I did live theater. Like I was entertaining a live audience. When you go into an audition room, it's you and somebody with a camera like this. Mm -hmm. And they're sitting maybe over to the left. And, you know, you have to say slate. Hi, my name's Bryn Drescher and I'm this and I'm that. And then it's like, okay, we'll say the line and it'll be like one line. And then it's like, okay, thank you. (laughs) <laughs> and you're like, okay. And then that's it. You might get a redirect. Could you try it one more time this way? You know, but it, you you don't always get that. And so sometimes okay. you spend all that time waiting outside and they'll have five people come in and they'll say, okay, everybody, we're just going to explain to you how this is going to go. And then we'll call you in one at a time. And you're in there. You're in the room for maybe five minutes. And then that's it. Oh, my and goodness. So I was always better in the car than I was in the room because I was so nervous about getting it right or wanting to do it perfectly that sometimes I just felt like I, I just couldn't, I didn't know how to like, you know, and this is, I'm sure this is not uncommon amongst new actors and had I stayed the course, who knows? But I think after a while and going through some of the adversity that actors face, I was like, you know, (laughs) this isn't booking me or paying me the bills per se. I mean, I booked little things here and there. Nothing you would have seen. Don't look for me. Um, (laughs) Googling. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. um, And then I just, I just ultimately was like, yeah, I think. And then I took a stand-up comedy class and then there's this interesting foray into a multi-level marketing company and they had a training in uh, Texas and I went and there was a speaker there, a motivational speaker and he did all these characters and he was like entertaining all these people, but he was being himself, you know, okay. and doing whatever. And I'm, you know, I'm sure he had scripted out the lines and whatnot, but they weren't written for him. And when I saw that, I was like, that's what I want to do. Not necessarily work for a multi-level marketing company, (laughs) but what he was doing, Mm -hmm. like edutainment, I was like, that's me. Edutainment. Did you make that up? No, no, no. Other people use it. Okay, that's nice. I I I don't think it's mine. I mean, I've said it before, but I don't think it's mine. Okay, that's cool. (laughs) So, oh my gosh. Okay, so you realize, okay, so... That's what I want to follow that thought. Yeah, sorry. So let's. I, I do, no, no, no. I do want to follow that thought. It's so interesting. There's two things, and I'll say them, and then if okay, we yeah. go back to both, then that's good. But you grew up kind of in corporate, mm-hmm. and you've always you always had this thing that told you you wanted to be an actor, actress, and you when you finally got your shot, you went for it, and you went for it 100 percent for a time. And I can only imagine what it feels like to go from corporate, making the salary you were making, having the control you were make, you <laughs> yeah. had, to being in a room where all you had to do was say a line. Yeah. So I'm curious what that had, what, like, what type of hit did your self-esteem take? Um, I will say this is a, probably something you'll be shocked by, but I felt wealthier as not a corporate person than I did as a corporate what? person. Okay, <laughs> please help me understand so, that. It, now, granted, the money was not the same. I want to be clear about that. <laughs> I was definitely right. close to six figures. I never got to six figures um, in the corporate space. I was close. But what it was is you live differently when you make more money. You spend more when you make more. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, I had a house. I had a mortgage. I had all these things. And, you know, and so when I was in this free world of being an actor slash, you know, bootstrap entrepreneur, if you want to call it, where I'm just like looking for jobs because I got to pay my rent, you know, it was, it just felt more freeing. It felt like more liberating. And so, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of interesting because when I stopped being an athlete, a lot of athletes go through a loss of identity. When I stopped working in corporate, I just don't think I ever had my identity wrapped up in either. Although I think it's because I've always been a very confident, extroverted person. Mm. And so maybe I was attached to that. So if there was ever a time I couldn't be that, like 
staying behind a computer all day or whatever. Those are the times I was like, this is not for me. Oh. But not, if I had an opportunity to interact with the public or be, you know, a bit of myself, then I was cool. Okay. I like that. I, I think that is really good to know. And it makes sense um, of why you might even you might have even had to go out and, and try acting in order for you to re- realize, okay, this is this is what it was that I needed to look at. So yeah. now we're here. Right. I'm glad I didn't forget. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I took you so many places. Like, keep me on track. No, I love it. <laughs> so now you are at this um, MLM. Um, motivational speaking session, and this man is educating educating you. Right. And you said, aha. Yeah. So where did that aha take you? So uh, I I found, oh, so there was a book I was reading at the time. Um, I was reading uh, Secrets of a Millionaire Mind. It's by a guy named T. Harvecker. And yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And in the book, which by the way, the book was his lead magnet. Okay, knowing mm-hmm. this now, not then, but now, I was like, you know, into the like, funnel. Right, so I'm like reading this book, and there's other people, you know, and if you'll find in the MLO world and personal development world, they very much overlap. So a lot of people already knew about, and actually, somebody from the MLM is the one who gave me the book. Okay. So I'm reading it because I'm just, you know, like killing time between sessions or whatever, and I was just fascinated by this book. And then it says in there, he's got this three-day mastermind weekend called Secrets of a Millionaire Mind weekend, but it's like $2,500, some crazy price. And I was like, oh, yeah, I want to go, but like, you know, (laughs) it's so expensive and whatever. I don't know. And somebody's like, well, actually, I think he's having one in LA. And it turns out that you don't pay that. You actually, so it's like, the value is twenty five hundred, but it's actually big <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> <Yeah>. slash <laughs> right all the stuff that I know now. But anyway, so it was like the next weekend, and um, it was like ninety seven bucks for three days of like. And I'm like, oh, I'm gonna be there, and so I went, and they sell you into this thing called Quantum Leap, which ended up being way more expensive than the twenty five hundred dollars that I was talking about previously. But I just made it work, and. Um, they had a program called Train the Trainer. And Train the Trainer was teaching you how to be a speaker on the stage and how to like do all the things. And they had Train the Trainer 1 and Train the Trainer 2. And it was just like a boot camp for speakers and how to like really like be a facilitator and lead from the stage. And so I learned all that. And I think I just, it was just like, this is what I've always wanted to do, be up in front of people, educate and inspire because even before I had moved, I had gotten into the secret and the mindset stuff and it had just started. The secret, I call it like training wheels, like for (laughs) like opening your mind to stuff Mm -hmm. because I think the secret is definitely expansive and I know a lot of critics talk about it in a way like, oh, you're supposed to think positive. Like they didn't say that in the secret, but whatever. (laughs) Everybody's like, oh yeah, they said just sit there and it'll happen. I'm like, well, that's not what they said, but it's okay. doesn't matter but it is like just the tip of the iceberg and so I had just gotten into that and then T. Harbecker's my year with him basically not him personally but his training company um, was just amazing I took leadership stuff I did a whole bunch of stuff and that kind of started me on this like hunger for personal development and um, yeah so I, I got into that and that helped me with my leadership skills because they had a leadership camp and you had to basically take turns being leaders throughout the camp and definitely a lot of um, bristling up against yourself as well as other people and different leadership styles. And, you know, and ultimately what you learn is you're just wrestling with you, but you think it's the other person, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Until you you've become a, a mental performance coach and you realize you create your well, own. <laughs> before I became a mental performance coach, but not quite as in-depth as I do now, for sure. That's cool. Okay. So um, you realized that's what you wanted to do. You learned a lot of stuff. Yeah. At what point did, did you decide... You know, where? what was the next transition from acting to next? What yeah. Next? So I did a, a... I just ended up like, you know, money becomes like the thing. Like, how am I going to make money? You know? So a little bit of a focus and I kind of did some odd jobs. I was doing virtual assistant for someone here mm-hmm. and doing social media management for someone there. And then ultimately, um, you know, I gotten into Periscope, did a bunch of live videos. I mean, these are not all in exact succession, but, and I'd done life coaching and Mm -hmm. different things here and there, but I didn't have anything like nailed down. Like who was I serving? It was just like, I just wanted to help people. And Mm -hmm. um, so 
once I did the social media management at the higher level and was getting paid a good amount of money to do it, like per contract, I'm not saying I did it for a long time. Um, I just realized that I wasn't the person that was supposed to be doing this. Like I, I had a good vision and I can definitely give somebody their social media plan. But when what I realized is the people that wanted to pay for what I wanted to charge wanted me to do it. Yeah. They didn't want the plan. They yeah. wanted the person that was going <laughs> to do the plan. And so they could set it and forget it. And I was like, I don't want to do that. My okay. personality is not meant to be sitting here and doing SEO and um, all that stuff. So, and that search engine optimization Absolutely. for those that don't know. I know you know. Um, so anyway, long story short, I um, I don't, I, I wish, I'm, I'm tr- I cannot remember the situation where I was like, I should do stuff for athletes. And it could have been someone else's suggestion. Like, hey, you worked, you're an athlete. Maybe the athletes would be a good way to go. I don't know, but I I guess I found out about something that was happening or I was looking up something like, where do coaches go? Maybe I should work with sports coaches or something like that. And I went to a basketball coaches clinic and um, and I was just like, okay. And I was just like, hey, I'm, I, I'm a mindset. I don't even know if I was using mental performance coach because I don't know if I knew it at that time. But I was like, basically I work with, I call it mental conditioning. So like I work, I work with athletes on their mental game and um I just, no, no one was there looking for me because they were there to get better as coaches. Mm-hmm. But I talked to them and I got one coach that said, yeah, I'll give you a shot. Well, I developed a relationship that eventually turned into her giving me a shot with her um, team. And then I just expanded it from there and found out that I love this. Like I'm, and I'm really good at it. And I was just doing what I knew. And then eventually, pandemic, the pandemic uh, forced me to actually start to formalize my teaching. And so oh, really, okay. think even though I've been doing it for a while, I hadn't really like put it into a system. That makes I sense. I was just like, whatever I had for them, that's what I was teaching them. And, you know, and then I was like, well, what if I, you know, took all these steps that I've been teaching and put it in a process? And so that's what happened. Okay. So I think that is definitely really, really important. And, and I'm curious that one thing that led, there's one thing that I'm curious about that led to where we are today, which is that one relationship. And you might not remember how that relationship developed, but. Oh, the coach that gave me the shot? Yeah. Oh, it um, was just, um, her name's Dana and, uh, she was just at the clinic. She was really nice. And we, you know, you go to different, you know, like when you go to conferences, they have breakout sessions or whatever. And we were just in the same room together and, you know, you do networking, you find out and like, oh, what do you do? What do you do? I'm yeah. like, well, actually, I do this. And I'm actually, you know, this is what I want to teach. And she's like, oh, that's so important, you know. Okay. And I talked to plenty of coaches that were like, oh, yeah, for sure. Call me. Like, let's get in touch or whatever. But um, we just really hit it off like energetically. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, and she was, I guess, going to make a move from the place she was at. And so when she made the move to start her own league, that's when she gave me, she was like, I want to have this as part of my program. And so, and it's so wonderful to have a coach that like wants to embed that into the program versus like, hey, we'll send them if they need it. But Mm -hmm. it was like, that was, we had a mandatory day where we were dedicated to that practice. So that was awesome. Mm, I was going to ask which, which Bryn caught her attention. Like, was it that, did you guys, the conversation oh, I mean, on acting? Always, or? No, no. I mean, I don't, I, I don't mention the acting thing very often. Um, I mean, I think if you see me enough and you see me at a party, sometimes it feels like I'm holding court because, um, you know, some people say, well, like I'm entertaining or I'm holding the, but then I'm not really being like, I don't know. It's like feeling like I have to enter, ed- entertain, but not, I don't know, but I'm just being myself and I'm really good at, I think I've found that what made me good at with customer service as well as up until then was just that I can make great conversation with anybody. I I can make, I think it's a skill that I got from my mom. My mom was just, she could make anybody a friend and I seem to have gotten that gene. And I'm, you know, my friend said the other day we were on a camping trip together and she was like, I've always admired just how you can like talk to anybody about anything. And for me, it's just like, it's another human being just have a conversation with them, you know? And so whatever, you know, if I know that you live in this area and I know the team that you might be, there was a girl on the trip that had a Duke hat on and I was like, oh, really? You got to wear that around here? You know, because I went to Michigan State. So 
basketball-wise, we're kind of rivals. I mean, I'm not saying Duke would say we're in the same league as them, <laughs> but you know, Michigan State's pretty good in basketball. So it's just anything I can do to find that connection, I'm looking for it. And so we just had great conversations. And there was valuable things at the clinic, even though they were sometimes just about X's and O's, and I didn't really necessarily need that. But it's also good to see how coaches operate and mm-hmm. what they're looking for. And yeah. So there was a lot of value in being there. But yeah, I don't I don't remember our specific conversations, but I do remember um, just like her being like, yeah, for sure. And then we just stayed in touch. And in the end, it turned out to be the one spot shot I needed. So. Yeah, I love that. And, yeah. and I ask you that just because I think it's very energetic how you you, net, you net, network. I yeah. think networking is so, so um, intimidating to, to some people. And I try to break it down as much as I can for like, anyone who's more like I just need to know like should I talk about the hat or whatever and sometimes people need that that step by step but it's great to hear you know even in that situation even though you don't have a specific how you can break it down and say that Duke hat is what allows you to get that in and so you allow energy to take you from there yep um so now you're getting your start as a mental performance coach and so you're getting the x's and o's you're seeing everything how did you get your start and where'd you get your footing So, I mean, of course, you know, there's always those moments. Um, I think a lot of people, particularly high performing people that come from corporate know very familiar with the term imposter syndrome. And so you have those moments like, but the advantages that I didn't share with you is that I also work for a nonprofit in the youth space and have been speaking for years. And so I, I didn't really need to, I wasn't reinventing the wheel. I was just taking what I knew and using the application of sports. And so all these years of speaking on these topics and then just saying, oh, well, I can teach them this because this is the same stuff. But learning through the lens of sports, because sports is just a vehicle. Ultimately, we get into sport because we want to do something that we think is fun, that we want to excel in, that we want to develop friendships and social circles around and so many different reasons. And so similarly, I think the biggest game we all play is life. Mm -hmm. And so if I can teach somebody about like how to be their best selves in life, I can teach somebody using the lens of sport because I came from that world and I was using sports analogies anyway. So it's like, yeah. oh, this is perfect. Now they'll really understand what I'm saying, you know. Uh, so because I, you know, basketball was my favorite sport. I only played two years in high school. I was not successful in basketball. Um, I was far more successful in track, but it worked out. You have so. to to understand. It's like to be a mental performance coach. You have to understand mentally and conceptually how the game works. Exactly. Not I physically. Don't, I don't need to know all the mechanics. That's right. In fact, I, sometimes I joke. I do hyperbole, and I make sure, like, yeah. So that's how it works, guys. Like you, like you hit it in the end zone, right? And they're like, what? And I'm like, I know it's called a basket, but I like to make it seem like I don't know what I'm talking about. So. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, and they're like, you know, coach, you know, but I, yeah, you yeah, got it. You yeah. got it. Where'd you come from? You know. <laughs> anything about basketball I'm like I know plenty about basketball I know about football I know about because my brother played football I know about basketball I sp- you know I I understand how the game works but it's just a lot of fun to mess with them sometimes I so. gotcha so um, as a mental performance coach and I keep saying it so that it can just stick to my, yeah. my mind <laughs> It's just a title. I want to talk about that just really quickly. It sounds great, but I'm just somebody who works with the mental on the mindset of an athlete. And, and yes, it is a, the, the end goal is to improve performance, but ultimately my end goal is to make them amazing people. I'm glad you said that because that's, that's literally what my question, (laughs) I was going to ask one, the result of your athletes, right? But then from a global perspective, what's the, what are the results of working with someone like you? Yeah. So it's really important to understand that. And and we talked about this a little bit in Atomic Habits when we talked about it in the morning meetup. But so it was a lot of resonance in that book for me and what I teach. But um, there's a level that you're, well, there's other books, I guess it's not. But anyway, there's a level of performance that you leave on the table when you're not harnessing the fullness of your mental game. So the mind is directing everything in a, in a way, right? Coming from your own belief systems, your understanding, your interpretations of situations. The more that we are in our emotions, the lower our capability and cognitive ability to make decisions is impaired in that moment. So if I'm high emotion, I'm low on the what is happening kind of moment. Mm-hmm. So it's it's sort of will find a way to balance and take in the situation and be able to 
one, enact a flow state, which we all know about the, the term flow state. Um, most of us engage in flow state unconsciously, um, which means like there was a time in your life as probably plenty of times that you felt like you were quote unquote in flow. Mm-hmm. But if I told you, if I asked you, how'd you get there? You wouldn't necessarily know how to tell me that because you were usually it's when you're engaging in something that you are enjoying yeah. and like, you know, cause children find it very easy to find flow state, you know, but not necessarily to actively find flow state, but they're just like, yeah, this is fun. I'm going to go do that. Mm-hmm. As adults, we're trying to remember how to get there. Um, and so one is to help them be more actually fluid in the process and not so like, uh, I made a mistake, that type of stuff. So improving st- mistake response, better decision making, taking better personal responsibility for self mm-hmm. and finding out a way to sort of put yourself in the driver's seat in your sport and become just a better teammate and a better, um, you know, be coachable. And um, because a lot of times, it, it's not that athletes don't want to do well because they do and nobody makes mistakes on purpose. Like this idea, like don't make mistakes. You shouldn't do that again. Like I mean, they're not trying to make a mistake. In fact, it is the very effort of trying to avoid a mistake that brings about the mistake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so typically, like when we go back to the moment of me in the audition room, because I was trying so hard not to mess up, I was not in my flow state. I was in my head. I was overthinking. I wasn't in that place. Yeah. So when you go into something and you're like, okay, I've got this, you're able to be in a calm place to actually reveal, because I think it's more, and I think this is true for all personal development. I'm not adding on to you. I'm peeling away that which is hindering your awesome from occurring. Ooh, say that. Okay. <laughs> so that's the idea. Um, but, you know, how that manifests for each person. And, and and our goal in the program that I was working with with that particular coach was to make them great women as well as great athletes. It wasn't just to be great basketball players because ultimately there will be a post-sports life and the key is to make them ready for that in, in whatever capacity. And so sports gives you a lot of leadership, communication skills, interpersonal skills. There's a lot of advantages to sport. And I think a lot of athletes just kind of think that it's only like, hey, this works in sport, but it works everywhere. Mm. So. Uh, I'm remembering something that you mentioned on the morning meetup, actually. Yeah. And even though you didn't mention it right now, it's the identity piece. And yes. <laughs> how like in your life, you've been able to make two large transitions, if not three. Yes, the nonprofit one, at least three that I know. Well, of. I still work with the nonprofit, but oh, okay. yeah, so I still work with them, but it's very like whenever they have work. So it's okay. not, I'm not an employee, but I just work for them because I love the work that they do. Okay. So. Well, then two major transitions that mm-hmm. I know of that you were able to leave with your identity, even though there were other personal development things that came with those yeah. transitions, it wasn't identity per se. Right. And I've heard you say, um, you know, like you want them to understand that they identify not just as an athlete, but know who they are because of that post-athlete phase. Right. And you're helping them get to that next step. Right. So well, it's kind of one of the other, I, I mean, one in the same, but it's not to help them only transition out of sport. Right. Because what happens is we confuse performance, you know, results with worth. So if I lose, then I'm bad. If I win, I'm good. Mm. And sometimes that's conditioned by the response of the people that are around me. So like, let's say you're my mom and when we have a good game, you're like, good job, honey. I'm so proud of you. And Mm -hmm. we have a bad game. You're like, what happened? Mm -hmm. Like, what happened? So as a, as a, you know, an athlete or a person, I'm internalizing good, good, bad, bad. So, so what ends up happening is, because athletes who transition to the highest levels of sport, they play that sport for so long. Yeah. I mean, we're talking sometimes from four years old all the way up to, you know, almost 40, you know. And I mean, look at Tom Brady. He's even, I don't know, actually don't doesn't matter, but he's <laughs> like beyond the years that most people would say you should stop, but he's performing still at a high level. It becomes then when I'm done with that sport for that day or for that period – because even in the off season or after a game, a lot of athletes have a hard time li- putting down the sport. Mm-hmm. And so the key is to teach them prior to that exit point yeah. that they are valuable and they are what makes the sport valuable. The sport doesn't make them valuable. Ooh. And that is, 
it's a seed planted. I can't say that it's like, yeah, I get it. But the earlier we can give that to them and get them to recognize that, we can improve mistake response. We can improve their ability to possibly take risks um, because the quicker they latch onto that idea that they're valuable regardless and they're just plugging into that sport, their awesomeness, then they see that, you know, when they unplug from the sport or take their uniform off, still valuable, not just valuable because of who, you know, you were on a court or on a field or whatever. Yeah, or incorporate. Yeah, that, or right? incorporate. Because you had it, that brand all And on. this is universal. Yeah, yes, thank you for bringing that up. Because yeah. a lot of people, like, it's it happens right. If I'm no longer a boss, if I'm no longer a CEO, or mm-hmm. I don't have my six-figure salary. I mean, we, are as humans, tend to attach to what we do rather than what we are. And they're not linked like you were already awesome and that's what made you good at being that job so you can plug that into the next thing um but you know yeah you you know but that's tough because a lot of people got their juice from that thing yeah absolutely when i'm working in my program we spend at least one week on mindset Mm -hmm. because i know that there's there's an identity shift there's a procrastination Mm -hmm. there there are some habits that you have to break when you want to be an entrepreneur and you do a full program on mindset Mm -hmm. so so if i compare my one week to your full process (laughs) if you could leave our our listeners with what they can actually do within that first session that you work with them what are some things that you would do in your first week well, I start all my athletes with the same step and it's awareness. Um, just right now, like as you're listening to this podcast, okay, or watching this wherever you're in, in um, what's the word, digesting it on, mm-hmm. um, I would recommend just what are you aware of, right? Like, so me and you, I'm aware that I'm talking to Ariel, I'm aware there's a mic here, I'm aware there's a camera there, you know, so on and so forth. So those are external things. Then mm-hmm. what am I aware internally? Right. I'm aware that feeling a little tired today. I'm aware that I'm full because you and I had a beautiful lunch, you know, so stuff like that. So and then emotionally, what am I aware of? And then, you know, you can go deeper. Right. So awareness, because all change starts with awareness. You can't change what you're not aware of. So it's like, you know, I want to make a change. Well, you got to become more aware of what's happening. What kind of thoughts are going through your head on a regular basis? So definitely I would first start with awareness. Um, Then I would. Once I become aware of what's going on, my habits, my patterns, my thoughts, those type of things, then I would enact a plan or I kind of like what he said. And I mean, we talk about this because it is about making a rock solid identity in my course. But I think it is once you identify your habits and patterns, what does a person who doesn't have those habits and patterns look like? So... Todd Herman, he's a, I don't know what is, I guess, I don't know, he used to be a peak performance coach, but anyway, he talks about creating an alter ego and I'm big into superheroes. So I think the real secret identity is that we don't know that we're super. So, you know, cause technically the secret identity was masking the person that was the superhero, um, as the regular Joe. But the thing is, is that's what it is. We're all superheroes walking around as thinking we're Clark Kent though. That's the only thing. So the difference is Superman knew he was Clark Kent. He knew he was Superman when he was Clark Kent. So the difference is we just have to learn. But <laughs> I'm like trying not to get out of my seat. <laughs> sorry, sorry. So I, all that to say is I would erect an, a, a persona or an identity that supports what you want to enact in your life. And then the last thing I would do is just start working on how you talk to yourself and how what you talk about to others. Those are the three main tenets. I mean, there's limiting beliefs. There's a lot of other pieces in there. But um, I think if I could just give three things, it would be awareness, become aware, you know, and then apply that to your habits and patterns and then think about your self-talk and like, how are you? And if you just change those three things in small ways, that could be huge. Like just they, I, I'm not somebody who loves to do dishes, but after reading Atomic Habits, I decided I'm someone who loves to do dishes. And now it's like, okay, this, my commitment is to make sure that sink doesn't have any dishes in it. But why do the dishes pile up? Because I'm a person who doesn't love to do dishes. And because I'm attached to that identity, mm. then I get frustrated by the dishes in the sink. And it's like, but I'm not willing to do anything about it because I don't want to do them. So, but once I say, okay, well, what if I'm a person who always makes sure they're done? Then it's like, it's small little steps I have to take along the week that make, now I don't have to do the 25, 30 minute of cleaning out the sink because yeah. it's always clean. So, yeah, you have taken us through a nice 
nice journey. Even though you feel like you've been all over the place, we literally have followed you from right out of college into um inter inter enterprise <laughs> up the corporate ladder. All the way over to your passion, got a chance to change your identity twice to really come full fledged in, in in a non strategic way, as far as we know. Yeah, um, <laughs> all part of my plan. <laughs> and really, truly land in a place where you sound like you feel more whole. You sound mm-hmm. like you have hit sure. a place where it it aligns to who you feel like you are on the inside. And so, I'm just curious if you would leave us with any like. There's someone right now who is either still in corporate and has never tapped into their passion or just has an inkling of something they might be interested in and they have no clue what it looks like to be whole on the other side. What would be that one thing that you would help them understand to get them along the journey? Well, what came to me is Michelangelo or Leonardo, whoever put David in the rock, I can't remember, took David out of the rock. Um, allegedly, when he saw the rock, he said he saw the the the, the sculpture the sculpture sculpture inside. So all that to say is that this situation in corporate and all of my situations led me to be good at what I'm doing now, and so it's just a sharpening or chipping away of these things. So find the aspect of your job that you really like and that your talents and natural passions or, you know, leanings are well suited for. And then know that somehow this is developing or preparing you for the next thing, even if you don't know what that thing is. Mm. Because there isn't a thing that you could do that you wouldn't be able to take with you because the one thing they can't take from you, they can take your salary, they can take your title, but they sort of like the Dr. Dre thing. You can have all that because you can't take this. (laughs) I'm sorry for you guys. I'm clapping in your ears. (laughs) But you just gave us a really high note to head out on. I swear. And one thing I, I don't, I haven't shared on this show just yet is just the philosophy behind the Work and Play podcast is to talk to people about their career journeys, their life transitions, mm-hmm. and self actualization. And your story literally hit all <laughs> three great. topics. And your story is amazing. So thank you again, Bryn, thank for you. joining us. Thank you guys for listening. And if you have not done those three things, play replay this. Write it down and do your work because I highly suggest, um, I, I highly recommend that this be something that you do if you're interested in leaving corporate America. But until next time, I will see you guys later. Peace out. Talk to you soon. <laughs>